Hi, and welcome back to another Well Workplaces podcast. I'm here with Natalie Flat. How are you, Hi, Tom. I'm okay. I'm all right. As uh, as I've just finished my cheese toast, you know, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've inspired the copy for this one, which is obviously we're talking today all about food and mood connection. And yeah, really interesting topic, given that I, I don't know about you, but I found that maybe last year during winter and, and probably a couple of COVID seasons under the belt, I personally put on around, I reckon, five to 10 kilos easily. And it was, for me, it was a lot of probably just emotional eating, I think, when I think back to it. And also yeah. really probably just in the, not the best headspace for getting out and moving as regularly as I am now, for example. So it's quite interesting how when you're in that cycle of fight or flight or stress, it makes you eat pretty poorly, let's be honest. And obviously then that has a flow on effect to, to our moods as well. So Anyway, so I thought I'd yeah, to get you back on and, and connect again just to talk about the food aspect and how that can link in with our mental well-being. Maybe we kick off with what are your thoughts on eating and mood? Have you had the last couple of years, have you had the same issues as me or is it just, just me? I think we all have, Tom, that we had yeah. that element of stress and that, that leading to burnout and, and, and stress is it enhances our cortisol levels in our body. And sugar is actually then provides what we can class a chill pill because it then starts to increase our levels of serotonin. And so the funny thing is that when we are feeling quite high, when we're feeling stressed and we have that cortisol surge, the sugar actually suppresses that response and it does that in the brain. It provides a little bit of a trick. So that's why we can feel like when we do crave that little bit of sugar and we actually feel better for it, it's actually training our body, but it's doing it in a bit, like a bit of a tricky way because the more we end up doing it, we can create this level of cycle that funnily enough, as it goes, it can then turn into depression because then we're eating too much sugar. And that's really the only behavior that we then know. So we can fall into the trap really easily. Many of us did. We have, we're living with a lot of stress. We're living with a lot of monotony, a mm. lot of boredom, lack of movement, lack of social connectivity, that level of isolation. So we did develop poorer habits than we normally would in, in a normal world. So don't yeah. feel too bad. I think you're pretty much part of the normal <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think on the flip side, there was plenty of people that I hadn't seen for a while and they'd come into one of our centres and they'd lost heaps of weight and they've <laughs> saw it as an opportunity to get more exercise done and to eat better. So I guess it wasn't all wasn't all bad, but I think just from chatting with my friends and stuff, everyone put on a few COVID kilos and, and now we're talking about food and mood. It kind of makes sense given that the amount of stress we probably have gone through and chronic stress through the last couple of years. With emotional eating, I've thrown out that term as if I really know what it means, what does it what does it mean with more of a clinical psych hat on? Is, yeah, is there anything that yeah. you think about? And it is mm. like emotional eating is probably more connected to negative emotions or, or unhelpful emotions, dare I say. And those unhelpful emotions, more often than not, they can make us feel that we have an emotional void. Food is actually believed to be a way to fill that void or and create that false feeling of fullness or temporary wholeness. So that's why people then feed their emotions there or that they have that level of emotion eating. So that's that loose connection, high level connection there. But the other factors are is that when we feel that emotion is becoming overwhelming, a lot of people can retreat. And so that's an anxiety response, okay? So we can have that fight or flight response. And if we retreat from that social support, we're not talking about our problems. We're not talking about our emotions. And we've heard about closet eating. Mm. That's when that closet eating can start to show its head and then become a bit more of a, a problematic or a challenge as that time goes on, if that's the behaviour that that individual feels that it's being reinforced um, and they're getting some reprieve from that. Then you also have other activities that may have been taken away or you may never have thought about that can otherwise alleviate stress, whether that's exercise, whether that's meditation, whether that is, uh, yeah, again, 
just connecting socially, whether that's painting, reading, music, dancing, that that could just be one of those default mechanisms. And it's a funny thing as, as I was thinking about this, and maybe it was a generation that you were also brought up in, Tom, but when my parents would, if I fell over at school, if I was sad, my mum would go, here you go, have a lolly, or here you go, have a chocolate bar. So they were actually... <laughs> fueling that that's when I feel like that then I should have something sweet so we were trained to to think Mm. like that and and that comes a lot up in in child dietetics and and child psychology now is and I'm very mindful of that with with my children that if you feel really sad look he will give it a bit of a rubber you know what we're going to do we're going to go and have a glass of water and that can can cool our body down so we're trying to change that mindset there but yeah we got taught that and so that is a generational thing as well but also then not knowing the the difference between physical hunger and Mm -hmm. emotional and physical hunger that that develops slowly over time and we have that desire to try certain food groups um sensation of feeling full and we don't have that negative feeling about eating but emotional hunger it can, can come really suddenly and really abruptly so you can even say you know might have come out of a meeting that just caused you that stress and you can go straight to the cookie jar okay mm. so you can see that that's that connection it's like this is going to be my reaction rather than i'm actually hungry you more often crave the sugary or the high carb foods you can binge so you're more likely just to not get that sensation of feeling full. And then you can have that guilt and that shame. So there's that cycle starting mm. to develop there. Oh, that that's really the, the emotional hunger. That's a really interesting point. I haven't never heard of it explained like that. And that just makes so much sense. I'd imagine as well for people, maybe at nighttime, like after dinner, you get to that really like almost before bed and then people pull out, maybe they're binging on Netflix or something and they start pulling out a packet of whatever and start eating. Maybe that's maybe that's the same thing. Zombie eating. Yeah. Oh, so zombie right. eating, unconscious eating. Yeah, it's we saw a lot of it. And weren't we doing a lot? We were flicking through everyone the, the memes are going around saying i've watched the whole of netflix now what do i do kind of thing or the the continual scrolling it's something that we can easily be sucked into we're having lunch and we're scrolling scrolling through whatever we want to be looking at and we're eating a lot more than we would usually eat rather than we can put our phone away and actually enjoy what's in front of us we're a lot more conscious about it but that unconscious eating is again a very big probably that emotional eating not so much boredness but just this automatic zombie eating not even thinking about what we're putting in our mouth and that was a big one as as well with tv and we see that we see a lot of the popcorns this big now if you're actually sitting there with a friend talking would you really eat that much popcorn (laughs) like a liter of popcorn yeah and that's fine it's a treat it's now and again you do it you don't you're not doing that every single day because you're not going to the actual movies every single day but when you're maybe watching netflix every single day and you're using that as a behavior that's when you might find you're getting into that unconscious eating pattern and that can cause a lot of uh, physical and also mental consequences. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that makes sense as well. So it's really that not really thinking about what you're doing. And I, and I guess that when we talk around strategy for combating that, I'm assuming it's all around being a bit more conscious of what you're actually feeling and doing again. Is that right? Yeah. And look, when we approach the whole diet area, we want to not just be focusing just on that physical component. There's a lot of research out there about how it's actually linked to mental health now. And my little passion when I used to, eat, you know, my, my past life of being that child psychologist, my passion was anxiety disorders. And, and as I started Started seeing the pattern of children about 20 years ago I started asking the question to parents like how is their food intake and what's their sleep like and I just started making these anecdotal connections dare I say whereas that more often than not these children with the anxiety that their diet was quite plain their diet was high process high carb white diet mm. 
And what we were just seeing is that that, that was an area where we, I felt like there it was really interesting to say they've got this diet going on, then they've got this anxiety. So is there a link there? And and as I dug deeper, we're coming into that world of talking about that gut-brain axis where our gut is our second brain. It's got as, as many neurotransmitters as the brain and, it's, and it, it talks, they, they talk from a physical and a, and a chemical um, area there. And research is showing that the higher the processed diet, the more inflamed our body becomes. And when our body becomes inflamed in our guts, it actually sends a signal to our brain that can essentially mimic or become anxiety, depression, even Parkinson's disease. There's there's connections in autism. Mm. I'm not political, by the way, to anyone, but this is what research is actually showing is that when we have a highly inflamed diet, it doesn't just affect us physically. It can also affect us from a mental health perspective there. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes me think of school at the moment because a lot of kids are going to school this week and it's that challenge of the lunchbox again. It's going, all right, how do we make this a well-rounded looking lunchbox that's colourful and full of nutrients? And the other part of all of that as well, when you're talking about the plain diet, because a lot of kids are are fussy as well. But the other part of it's a flow-on effect is probably just simply the amount of sleep they're getting and the quality of sleep as well, which is well, important throughout your whole lifespan. But but for the kids that are developing and growing and that kind of thing, that's probably another major pillar of their well-being that's extremely important. Absolutely, Tom. And look, it's just it's a funny thing because it's all about change. And as you and I talk about behavior change and starting small, we never want to go. We're back in February now. More often than not, the people that have gone and, and signed up for those diets, the eight-week challenges or the new gym memberships, they probably starting to dwindle now. More often than not, they usually dwindle between four to eight weeks. So we're probably going in the dwindling phase now. It's too Mm. much too soon, too big. Don't do it. Start small, micro steps. Those small little changes are going to create that success. Now that can not only be in your diet, but also if you do have children, you are concerned about that in their diet as well. There is a lot of research around about psychobiotics and psychobiotics are essentially probiotics for the guts that then reduces the inflammation that gives a better signal to the brain to reduce again that anxiety and that depression. So we're not going to focus so much on, on say, antidepressants, but more antidepressants mm. for the gut, dare I say. It's a lot of research that is happening actually in the adolescent phase where they believe that the, the gut microbiome is actually needs to be really fine-tuned. And if you can get it right in that adolescent stage, then you are actually able to, it's showing from a longitudinal perspective that they've got better mental health outcomes. So I know love that the cheese and Vegemite sandwiches are just the only thing that some little kids eat. <laughs> worry too much about that but like even in adolescence where they do have that element of more choice and that more autonomy and maybe a bit more adventurous it's it's never too late as you said it was really interesting what you just said about the sleep that these kids might be not waking up and they're not having a, a good sleep and we even when we're feeling sleep deprived we're more likely to want to eat higher sugar food higher energy levels but then that's going to lead to a sugar rush and then a sugar dip then that can lead to the irritability um, that actually leads to lower productivity and it doesn't work. It might have those short, sharp bursts and it's got its time and its place. But if you're looking for sustained energy, not the best approach. But you have to also look at it at the other end, don't you? Because why are you not getting the, the good night's sleep? Are you right after going for the chocolate biscuits just before you go to bed? So it can be maybe even more some nuts, some cheese, some yogurt. Foods higher in tryptophan, that enzyme that actually encourages sleep is going to then be better for not only our brains and our guts. So we're going to get a more restful sleep. We're going to wake up the next day and then we'll crave the more sustained style of food. 
So that's yep. something that we can do for ourselves and we can also do for our children. When those mean mums aren't either, if they want a dessert, like they get the Greek yogurt and they'll put some actual cacao through it and they yep. think it's chocolate yogurt. And I'm like, yep, yeah, kids, that's a chocolate oh, yogurt. That's- I love it, but that's, that's, rich in magnesium, and then they and they sleep really well, and they yeah they have the energy for the next day. So yeah, small, yeah, small changes like that, and not a bad thing. That's brilliant with your kids if they think that's that's the best chocolate they can get. <laughs> I've just got a couple of comments here, Nat, from our some of our listeners here. So Brett Peterson's just said, I think everyone should do a month of nutrition tracking with my fitness yeah. pal or something similar. You'll be surprised at what you consume. I totally agree with that. Sometimes it's Brett as well. In in addition to what we were saying before. It's really just being conscious of what you consume, but if you don't measure it, then you don't really know. So yeah, thanks so much, Brett, for for your comment there, and then Chuck Anderson, who can relate to. I'm assuming yeah. Chuck, it's probably relating to maybe what we were talking about earlier with with consuming maybe unconsciously or that kind of thing, perhaps. Yeah. Um, now that's brilliant. Now you're a busy woman. Is there anything else we want to talk about in regards to burnout and nutrition as well for employees at the moment who might be continuing to work from home and maybe also battling burnout and and maybe caught in that little loop of, of sugar? <laughs> Absolutely. Like it. And it, I think it's just, again, it's just trying to change those little snacks or having that, even that set menu just until you actually get into, I suppose, into a bit of a rhythm, whether that is just making a lunch for yourself or even trying getting up and and having an element of, say, even more so a a nutritious breakfast. But as soon as you're full, making your lunch and and, and creating a little mini lunchbox and having an aside, and that also includes an afternoon snack. What that would do is it would try and push you, A, away from the kitchen, (laughs) away from it, and it's at your desk. And I know that we've got those bad habits, and it's not also about just changing all the bad habits at once. If you are still eating where you're working because you're still working from home and it's limited space, so be it. But it's more about what you're actually consuming and how that's then being able to help. It also then helps with what Brett said, is that it's an easy way to track about exactly what you're eating. But as well as having that diary, it's really good just to put your emotion down on it because Mm. you are eating and then saying, okay, I have changed my diet in the afternoon from instead of having the two chocolate chip cookies, I've decided to have some dried apricots and some almonds. How did that make you feel? Because you need that evidence to then decide this is going to work because you have to tell yourself and you have to also prove that this is a better choice because look at the impact of that. So that's how we need to change our mindset as well. And we also then need to be kind on ourselves. Okay, like it's th- things are, we want to tell ourselves that we're doing enough. Like those these micro steps are really important. And what we're doing is great because we're creating a better change for ourselves. For people that actually really say, okay, I used to be really good at, at dieting and I've dropped the ball in the last couple of years, you might take a little bit of a larger step. You might then say, okay, I can feel that my body's overwhelmed or I need that bit more of a detox. The detox is, it's a fun word. Okay, for, mm. it's not again a sustained place that you can do. We want to be doing those lifestyle changes there. The great way to go and, and to look at it is, is probably more so those anti inflammatory foods. Because once we can get our gut calm again, that then creates the signals, the chemical and the physical symptoms, signals to the brain to also calm the brain down. And so that's what's then going to create that state of calm again. People, that might be feeling burnt out, they may not also show it or they might be able to hold on to it a little bit better. And that's because their diet could actually be better as well. But it just doesn't stop at what we put in our mouth. It's also what we do with ourselves. Like movement has got a huge impact. The way we move actually also dictates what we need from a a dietary perspective. 
And again, you might like to record this because you could, you know, be a real slump and you can go, I've got two choices. I can either sit there and eat the chocolate biscuits or I can go for a walk around the block and then come back and maybe have, I don't know, some yogurt and a huge glass of cold water. Okay, yeah. again, rate your energy level and see the difference there. And the movement is actually plays a, a big part in, in what we put in our mouth as well. And social connection and accountability. If you want to look at all the diet that the common denominator or the fantastical diet kind of mm. eight week things that are out there, big ones, exactly what Brett said, food diaries. They're big on food diaries, which is has got some great evidence behind it. But also accountability. And we also know that with exercise. Grab a friend, even if you are back at work or if you've got a colleague that's close by you get them to do a challenge where each of you have to bring a nutritious lunch for each other that day and that will actually hold you accountable for that person as well as yourself so it's a really great way just to to restart some habits but start small see how you feel and then stack it against each other and before you know it might even take a year to get yourself back on. It doesn't matter. You're going into the right direction. Yeah, yeah, great advice, Nat. Thanks so much. And I think the main one for me that I, I take away from today's session is probably noting a little bit more on the mood aspect or how I feel, say, the following morning if I've if I've um, eaten it late at night and that kind of thing, just to work out and prove you have to prove how you're feeling and also try and measure what you're doing in some ways. Really great. Love today's session. That was awesome. Um, have a good day. Thanks so much again. Me too. Okay, take care, guys. Talk soon. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to another Well Workplaces podcast. If you've loved the show, it would be fantastic if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Or feel free to follow us on LinkedIn or Instagram and search Well Workplaces or my profile, Tom Bosner. The show is produced by Alice Hoyle and is made in my backyard cubby. If you would like to hear more about our exclusive events and more about the Well Workplaces community, feel free to email me directly at tom at wellworkplaces.com.au where I'd love you to tell me who I should interview in the future podcasts and also tell me what you've loved most about the show. This podcast is really built on community input and built on the aspiration of inspiring healthy change in every workplace. Thanks for listening.